Good morning. You guys doing well? Staying cool? Excellent. Good to have you with us. What a great weekend this is. We're packing this place out. This is 4th of July weekend. I thought a lot of you would be gone this weekend. But man, last night's service was big. This is a big service. Can't wait for the next one. And it's a wonderful weekend. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. And then from there, we'll move over to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. We're looking at the stages of maturity this morning. Nothing can cause problems like, like immaturity. Immaturity financially, immaturity relationally, immaturity spiritually. If you were to look at the root of our issues, our problems, it goes back to immaturity. Take a look at your sermon notes at the top. Maturity isn't age. You can grow old and not grow up. It's not about appearance. You can look old (laughs) and not grow up. It's not about achievement. You can achieve a lot. You can be a wealthy person, have a lot of money win all kinds of awards, and not be a mature person. Nor is it about academics, being uh, real smart and having a whole lot of degrees. In fact, maturity is, is about an attitude. It's about an attitude like Christ. Philippians 2.5, it says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's ultimately what God's wanting to do in our lives as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wanting to conform our lives more and more into his, his attitude. The word attitude here, it means a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected, that is your attitude, one is your attitude is reflected in your behavior, in a person's behavior. So it's a mindset, it's the way that you think, your perception of, of life and the events around you and the people around you, and it's obviously going to affect your emotions, your feelings, and then it's going to also affect in how you behave, how you respond to the events of life. Here's some related words, disposition, frame of mind, outlook, point of view, perspective, mindset, and we've been using throughout this series worldview. So it's having really a biblical worldview. If you're a Christian, you're becoming more and more like Christ and you're having a biblical worldview. The Bible calls this wisdom. In fact, I looked up the word attitude in Philippians 2.5 as it relates to have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And the Greek for that means wisdom. And wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. And so he's wanting us to begin to more and more see and respond to life from, from his perspective. That's That's maturity, because you guys remember this, it's not what happens to you, but what happens in you, that is your attitude that either molds you or melts you in life's fiery trials. It's not the events of your life that make you the way you are. It's not the government, it's not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not the job that you have, it's your perspective It's your attitude about all of that that determines how you're going to think, feel, and then behave in response to the events of life. That's why you can have two people going through identical fiery trials. One becomes bitter and the other better. We've talked about that over and over again. So we're talking about attitude, a mature attitude, and there are age-appropriate and inappropriate attitudes. And we'll be looking at three uh, stages of maturity. Quick story, then we'll pray and dive into our text. Uh, heard a story a number of years ago. It's, al- it's always stayed with me. They were, it was a school district that was looking for a principal, and so they interviewed a number, and they narrowed it down to two. One of the candidates had 10 years' experience. The other one had 20 years' experience. They chose the one with the 10-year experience over the one with the 20-year experience. The 20-year experience candidate was kind of outraged over the whole thing that they hadn't chose them, and I have twice as much experience. And... Uh, brought that to their attention, and then they brought to this person's attention, no, you don't have 
twice as much experience. You have one year experience 20 times. This person has 10 years experience. And so what I learned from that is that you can actually never grow beyond infancy. You can have that first year experience and never go beyond that first year experience and yet be just kind of logging time. And maybe you have been a teacher or whatever, a follower of Jesus Christ for 20 years and yet still only have one year experience, maybe 20 times. So what I'm going to share with you here this morning is going to be uh, a bit disturbing. It was disturbing for me, and misery loves company, okay? So I'm going to invite you into my misery and my conviction, because I think that uh, as we look at this, we're going to find that there are certainly areas of our life that we haven't grown like what we need to. And a lot of it has to do certainly with our, with our American culture and American Christianity. And so we're going to hit this head on this morning. A lot of great insight. God's here today to meet with us, to continue to transform our lives so that we can experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to give to us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll look at our text. Father God, there's nothing more life-liberating and soul-satisfying than knowing you through the sacrificial love of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, you're our most satisfying reality. And there's nothing we want more than to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to full maturity, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Because we know, based on Ephesians 4.14, that if we don't, we will be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we pray this morning to teach us, through the study of your word, the stages and strategies of spiritual maturity so that you will be more and more glorified in us as we are more and more satisfied in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Take a look uh, at our text. We've been reading this for the last three, four weeks. A wonderful text. Remember, First Peter is about people who are going through fiery trials. He's given us the resources to get through those fiery trials without turning into cinder, but becoming pure as gold. Uh, gives us the resources. The gospel celebrates that first 12 verses. Then he moves from the indicatives to the imperatives, from the riches to our responsibility starting in verse 13 and from 13 to 21 we talked about holiness defined holiness as being wholly devoted to God God wholly gave his life for us so it's only natural and normal for us to wholly give our lives back to him gave you a definition last week holiness is someone who is so happy in God that sin has no appeal anymore that's what we want and talked about that, and then he moves into verse 22, is what we've been looking at the last few weeks, as I've stated. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Talked about that last week. By the way, you can uh, get a DB app and download any of these messages, listen to them throughout the week, or you can go on our website and, and download these messages. They're usually up right uh, on Monday afternoon. No later than that. So the notes are there, available to you. And so we talked about that last week. And then, why would we have this brotherly love since you have been born again? Uh, talked about that two weeks ago. So you can listen to those messages. Stay up with what's going on here. He says, so since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Stop there just for a minute. What he's saying is that we are all perishing little by little, physically and spiritually if we're not born again. But physically, we all know that. Unless you're in your teens or 20s, you think you're going to live forever. And I can't wait until you get to the place to where your body starts falling apart like the rest of us. And then you realize, hey, I am perishing. I started perishing um, right out of high school when my hair started falling out. And then all of a sudden I realized, hey, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't perishing. God only made a few perfect heads and he put hair on the rest. <laughs> and you all are going to be bald in heaven. It's somewhere in here, somewhere I've read it. Okay, that's not true, but here's the fact that you are perishing 
And in the fourth chapter of uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are re being renewed day by day. There's a renewal that's happening in our lives because we're born again. And so we don't, we're, gonna, we're perishing and yet we don't have to perish spiritually. That's what he's talking about here. He says, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we've been born again. We are alive to the presence and the power and the peace of God working in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. I love this next verse, next two verses. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. We had uh, three kids, Nancy and I. They're all grown and gone now. But they were all breastfed. I liked that for a number of reasons. One was the, the fact that they were healthy babies. Another reason was that when they would cry out in the middle of the night, I would turn over and look at Nancy and say, they don't have what I need, or they don't need what I have. I don't have anything to give them. In other words, you've got what they need. That's, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. That came off a little awkward. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, maybe I'd just move on from that point on. But, uh, and, and so what was interesting about that, sure enough, she would climb out of bed, and, and the baby that was screaming its head off would, uh, would go right back to sleep very quickly because they were satisfied. There was a contentment. Mom would uh, take care of them like a newborn babe. I mean, just that quick. That quick. And, of course, Dad would be right back to sleep even before that would happen, Okay. And so uh, there's just something about that. And, and you know what was interesting about that? Of course, I, would, uh, I tormented the kids because when I was holding them, I would, when they were young infants, I'd put my finger right here at their cheek like that, and they'd go, like over here. Or when we we'd kind of were also going from the breast to the bottle, I would take the bottle and kind of drag it out and make them have to kind of work for it a little bit and uh, kind of tormenting them. And yes, now that they're grown and gone, I've paid for all their counseling of me tormenting them. But, uh, but what was interesting about that is that how they were just, they had this, this passion and they knew what they needed and what they wanted and, and they would go after it and then there was a contentment that came as a result of that. That's, that's a beautiful picture that he's giving us here. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Check this out. Look at the next verse. If you don't have this passion for the pure spiritual milk of the word, uh, most translators would say that's what he's talking about there. It's because <clears throat> if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Once you've tasted of his goodness, you want, you will long, you will long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. You will be like this infant. It's like, oh, I want more. I'm not content until I'm, I'm interacting with God, until I know God, until I ex I'm experiencing him. That, that's the picture that he, he's describing for us. So we're talking about spiritual growth. Now, if you have your Bibles open, now go uh, to the right to 1 John, because uh, this is where we're going to get really the stages of spiritual maturity. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, I believe that text that I just read, along with uh, 1 Peter, so 1 Peter tells us that we need to be like newborn infants, longing for the pure spiritual milk of the word so that we might grow up into our salvation. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, gives us the, the stages of, of maturity. And that's what we're looking at here this morning, stages of maturity. The first one is infancy. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children 
Note this, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And immediately you'll say, well, of course, everybody knows that. Every new believer knows that. Yeah, you might know that, but are you living in the reality of that? Knowing it intellectually and experiencing it experientially, existentially, is, is totally different. And, and as you will see as we work through this, so let me give you some fill in the blanks. Infants, and we're talking physically, kind of biologically, and then we're going to move this over to spiritually. Infants are unstable, self-centered, short attention span, and gullible. <clears throat> How many would say that infants are certainly kind of unstable? I mean, at a, you know, drop of a hat, they're crying. And then you say, hey, let's go get an ice cream. They stop crying. You get them an ice cream. They drop their ice cream on the ground. And then they're crying again. You know, so there's this kind of roller coaster of emotion. They're very self-centered. They want all the attention. I mean, it, you just, people that don't have kids, they don't realize how drastically it, it changes your life. Anybody here ever expect to be so preoccupied with your kids in those first 20 years? <laughs> Actually, it's those first few years are just like almost overwhelming. I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more as they got up into the seven and eight-year-olds where they could actually start doing some things by themselves, for themselves, okay? Like, yeah, all right. You can now feed yourself, you know? It's just like, and, uh, and they can take care of themselves in other ways too. And so it's just, it's just kind of interesting, but you don't realize how high-maintenance they are. And they're very, they're very self-centered. They have a short attention span. You've got to keep them entertained. Isn't that interesting? Now, this is what's interesting about our day and time. Uh, and then they're also gullible. They're just kind of easily led astray. Now, think about that in the, in the relationship to the spiritual. I've been told over and over again that, hey, you need to cut your messages down to about 20, 30 minutes because people have a short attention span. And, I'm, and you guys know I can't. <laughs> and, and I understand where you're coming from, but that's just because what? Because people are infants? See, this is what I don't understand. People have a tough time sitting through a 30-minute, you know, or a 45-minute message, and you, you can go to a movie and sit there for two to three hours and even have to go to the bathroom and hold yourself. Oh, I don't want to miss anything. I probably didn't have to do that, did I? <laughs> to kind of demonstrate to you what you might be doing at the, in the movie. It's like, I don't want to miss the next scene. It's a dumb movie. It's a stupid movie, and yet, yet we're going like, hey, when's this thing going to get over? What that tells us more than anything is you're probably an infant. And uh, it's where your values are. And they're gullible. I mean, I see people listening to stuff, you know, on the Internet and on TV that's just almost the most ridiculous stuff. He's like, what the heck? Why do you listen to that stuff? They're just, they're just led astray, easily led astray. Dumping their money, supporting, you know, ministries and, and people out there that, they, that you shouldn't be doing. And that just shows you that the, how, how much you're an infant. Uh, they're more about entertainment than really encountering Christ. And this is how I can find out. I always ask them, I say, why do you go to that church? This is typically what people say. Oh, the music. Oh, we're in and out. 30-minute message. The guy's really funny. It's like, what? That's the criteria? It's like, you're an infant. This is what I would expect from someone that's probably beyond that is like it's a place where they teach the Bible and I've encountered Christ unlike I've ever encountered him before. God speaks to me through what's going on there amazingly. He's transforming my life. I'm seeing him in ways I've never seen him before. I'm captivated by him. I'm really talking more about your, your love for God, your passion for him. You know, and then out of that, I've been able to love the people around me much, much better than ever before. So that would be kind of a normal response, not the style of music or how great the music is or the pastor's funny or any of those things, but it just shows that we're, we're infants. Uh, and, and, and infants don't know the difference between solid food versus junk food. Um, and they can fill, their, fill themselves up on a bunch of junk food and miss out on the solid food. How many have ever uh, been so hungry that you begin to snack uncontrollably only to ruin your appetite? Show of hands, let's fess up. You know, infants, that's the reason why you're constantly guarding them. Hey, don't eat that. We're going to be eating dinner real soon. Don't eat that. And yet infants will just, you know, gorge on all kinds of junk that's not good for them, and then they don't have an appetite for the good stuff. Of course, I have to confess that Nancy and I would fill up our grandkids on junk, 
when they would come over. And, and then they were out of control. We couldn't figure out, why are they out of control? It's because we fed them all that sugar. So what, what we do is we don't feed them any sugar while they're there. But just before we send them home, we fill them up on sugar. And we say, payback. Okay, we don't do that. They just, because the parents wouldn't like, they wouldn't let them, their kids come over anymore. So, but uh, listen to what John Piper says. It's from his book, A Hunger for God. He says, and by the way, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of TV programs, they, they nurture our binging habits. Did you notice a lot of TV programs are on one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other? What's up with that? Because you're binging. You might not binge on alcohol, but you're binging on TV. It's a way of medicating because you're not dealing with root issues within your own heart. And uh, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, on weekends we just binge out. We watch all this. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting all of your time? You're an infant. You're an infant. John Piper says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you uh, to turn from the dulling effect of food and the dangers of idolatry and binge TV, I'll add that one there, or any other things, and, and to say with some simple fast, he's saying, stop doing that, and say, this much, oh God, I want you. How your heart is attracted to that favorite TV program or that food or whatever it might be, you're saying, God, may my appetite for you be as great and even greater than it is for whatever it is that you're pursuing. I think that's great, great insight. Here's the next thing. Infants are sensitive to criticism and secure about what others think about them. Uh, repentance is difficult. Failure is overwhelming. They perpetually question God's love and care for them. Let me walk through those very quickly. So infants are sensitive to criticism. Think about that. Someone criticizes you? Anybody? Coworker? Family member? They criticize you and you have a meltdown? or you blow up, when you have the God of the galaxies who gave his life for you, it doesn't make sense. You have all the affirmation you need in Jesus. But that, see, that would be uh, an attitude of an infant. Sensitive to criticism, insecure about what others think about you. You've heard me say this before, you'd worry less about what others thought of you if you realized how little they did. Okay? Because people are pretty self-absorbed for the most part. By the way, infants are drawn away, and I get this from time to time. People will, will uh, send me a Facebook message or something and go, oh, Pastor Ray, did you watch this video? I mean, they're refuting all of Christianity. Is Christianity just a big myth? Oh, oh. You know, it's like, huh? And I'll go and look at it and watch the video, and it's just like, it's nothing but sneering. It's like what the enemy did in Genesis 3. Did God really say... It's an, it's an atmosphere more than an argument. And it's an atmosphere of sneering, of intimidation, and you're an infant. Because you haven't looked be beyond that to see, is there any evidence here? And there's no evidence. But see, that's, that's an infant. That's an, in an attitude of an infant. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Woohoo! Not staying with the solid word of God. What the Bible says. And then repentance is difficult. You have a hard time just confessing your sins and repenting. Repentance is a good thing. I do it about a billion times a day. I mean, and if you're really in touch with your sinfulness, you're, you're just constantly making course corrections and coming back into the arms of Jesus and saying, whoop, I shouldn't have said that. Whoop, I shouldn't have thought that. God, thank you for reminding me. Help me to get back on track. And you're willing to confess those, those sins. And then failure is overwhelming because the accuser gets in your head. He starts accusing you. Like, you call yourself a Christian? It's like, wait a minute. And, and the reason for all this is because, look at, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You're not living in the reality of that. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It's over. Done deal. It is finished. You have all the acceptance, security, and significance you'll ever need. But see, that's, but if I'm not living in the reality of that, and then I've got this perpetual questioning of God's love and care. Does he care? Does he care? Look at my circumstances. are falling apart. Don't evaluate God's love based on your circumstances. It's always based on the cross. Go back to the cross. He has settled that a long time ago. He loves you. Don't be an infant. 
looking at your circumstances, evaluating your circumstances based on his love for you. He loves you. It's settled. It's a done deal. Man, take that to the bank. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. And he said that you're not going to be able to make heads or tails out of a lot of things this side of eternity. And not until we're face to face with him will we begin to understand those things. And so that's part of just maturing and growing up. And then and then the next one is infants intellectually have uh, Christ as their Savior and Lord, but experientially someone or something else is, is, uh, is, and therefore they have extreme highs and lows emotionally, depending on how their career is going, rather than their identity being in the cross and who Jesus is. It's in their career or their family or their health. And if those are going well, whatever it is that they're building their identity on, so goes their you know, uh, their identity, or whether certain people like them or approve of them or notice them, and it's because they're not living in the reality of all the acceptance, security, significance they'll ever need is in Christ. I gave a great cross-reference. I'd encourage you to read this on your own. He talks more about this, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and he takes it back to this fundamental understanding of justification. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery when Jesus said, he is without sin, throw the first stone. They all exited. He goes over to the woman and says, uh, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. And then he says something really, really profound. You guys remember? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. See, that would be religion. That would be religion. He didn't say that. He said, neither do I condemn you. Some of you need to learn that because you're an infant and you've continued to stay an infant because all of your sense of sanctification, wholeness, and holiness comes out of realizing, neither do I condemn you. It is finished, paid in full. That is amazing. Go and sin no more. All of the resources you need are found in your justification. Your ability to be sanctified, set apart, mature, grow, are found in your justification. I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Many Christians in America today have not gotten beyond that. And that's, that's foundational. Here's the next one, adolescent. First um, John two fourteen. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So, how do you overcome the evil one? Got to be strong. How are you strong? Word of God has to abide in you. It's got to dwell. It's got to live in you. So. You know you've moved from infancy to adolescent when you know the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food. So I make these three different distinctions, and that's what I want you guys to do is to turn to the folks next to you, and uh, let's make that distinction. What is the difference between junk food, milk, solid food? What's the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food? That, that, I, that's hard. Uh, let's not even try to answer that one this morning, okay? That's just too hard. That's already working my head right now. I'm not even sure if I can figure that one out. No, I've already, I've kind of, I think I might have a good handle on it. I'll explain it to you in a minute. But go ahead and turn to the person next to you and see if they know the difference between junk food, milk, solid food. Milk and solid food are kind of in the same category. The junk food, you've got to be able to make that distinction. So, okay, go ahead and do that. Okay, you guys coming up with some good answers? Okay, here's my definition for junk food. Here's my definition for junk food is anything that feeds your sinful nature, your self-centeredness, 
And it has a way of suppressing your appetite for God and his word. You don't even know that. Most, oftentimes, infants don't even know the difference. And yet, as you're beginning to mature, you begin to realize. By the way, there's a lot of ministries in our culture today, and even in the valley, that actually it's a form of junk food, that they reinforce what is fundamentally wrong with all of us, and that's your own self-centeredness and preoccupation with self. And most people, they just walk away going, Whoa, I feel better about myself. That's a wonderful message. Great sermon. I love my church. And you go, wow, you just got a nice dose of junk food. How long is that going to last when you hit the fiery trials of life? Not very long. And so it's that which reinforces really your self-centeredness, your sinful nature. It, it's very subtle. Junk food can also be cotton candy theology, cheap grace. And to be quite honest with you, I, you know, uh, we don't like to talk about sin around here, so you're not going to hear any messages that really deal with sin head on right here at Desert Breeze ever, ever, ever again because I feel really uncomfortable talking about sin. No! No, we're going to talk about sin because I'll tell you what, the more I understand my own sinfulness, the bad news, the more I appreciate the good news. It's good news in direct proportion to understanding the bad news. The bad news is that we're sinners. The good news, we have a Savior. And he's adequate. Woo! I love it! See, that's why I'm so stoked about the gospel. Because you need to have a good balanced uh, presentation of the gospel. Bad news, good news. And we need to deal with that. But, but, but if you have a ministry that says, which that's pretty common in American churches. You know, we want to be PC. Don't want to talk about bad stuff around here. Well, you're wondering why your life isn't changing skippity doo skippity day my oh my what a wonderful day it's like what you got to deal with the junk in your life and as you deal with it oh he's got a remedy our savior he rescues us that's why I love love the good news and I love all that it entails and the understanding of God's grace it's just absolutely wonderful and uh and so, there's another thing, too, is it's very popular. It's called MTD. It's uh, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism is a term that was first introduced in the book Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. Christian Smith, along with another author, Melinda uh, Denton, wrote this. And this is what they said, and this is very common. And this is what, if you really listen carefully to uh, some of the teaching that's out there, prevalent, and, it's, and I, I actually will catch it from time to time in some of the megachurches. Not all the megachurches have it. Some of the megachurches have really good teaching. Um, megachurches only represent about 1% of the church world, by the way. Uh, most churches are below 100. 80% uh, are below 250. Desert Breeze would be in like a 6% range. And uh, so we're above average as a church. But this is what is very common in, in megachurches and even also medium-range churches and maybe even some small churches. And this is what they say, what this therapeutic, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism is this being taught. Uh, it's described uh, the common religious beliefs of American youth. He says, number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. And there's nothing too much wrong with that. But the next one, where it starts getting bad, it says, number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. That's moralism. It's moralism. And uh, I'll turn on the... Uh, turn on the TV or listen to different guys here, even in the valley, and you'll get a good dose of moralism most people don't even understand. And, and they do a great job at motivating you to be more moralistic as, a, as opposed to, it's more about behaving rather than beholding the beauty and the glory of Christ. Another one here is that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. There's the therapeutic side. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. There's the deism. It's like, hey, make God a part of your life so you can be successful. Not a part of your life. Make him, make him your life. See, and there's a difference between that deism kind of teaching versus you have a high view of God. You want your life to be fully and completely devoted to him. Here's the last one. Good people go to heaven when they die. That's part of... Uh, the theology that has infiltrated American Christianity. And so 
Uh, If you go to a church that's doing that, it it makes you feel good about yourself. It's all about you and kind of boosts you up and it can be very misleading and it's very unhelpful unhelpful and unhealthy. Uh, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 gives you a distinction. So let me walk you through this real quick between milk and solid food. And he says, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11, now verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So he's going to make a distinction between milk and solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For, now here it is. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's a little bit of what I did last week to you is that I, I was showing you how your the gospel message and your acceptance in Christ, both that you are more sinful than you ever dared to think and you're more loved than you ever dared to imagine, it eliminates the superiority and the inferiority in your life, therefore helping you in your conflict resolution skills. It's taking the gospel message and what you have in Christ and beginning to apply it specifically to the areas of your life and transforming those areas of your life. For instance, conflict resolution. We said, you're not going to sin against that person that has just sinned against you in how you respond. You're not going to fight or flight, but you're going to face the issue and you're going to do it with humility because you recognize you're a sinner also. But you're not going to let them sin against you in your response. You're going to speak truth to them. Because you know that not only are you, that you are a sinner, but you are also amazingly loved. You are more loved than you ever dared to dream. He loved you so much, he died for you, so it gives you the confidence. Therefore, you can speak the truth, and you're not going to let people walk all over you. So you're not going to sin against them, nor are you going to let them sin against you. You're going to speak the truth in love. See, that's, that's what he's talking about. You're able to take the gospel message and begin to apply it to the specific areas of your life. That would just, that's just one of many many areas. Okay, let's continue on. Um, Here's the next one. So, you know that you've moved from infancy to adolescent when, you know the difference between junk food, milk, and solid food, you are less dependent upon others feeding you and learning to feed yourself. Now, I don't hear it so much anymore here at Desert Breeze, and I'm not sure. Maybe people are just afraid to come and say this to me. But I would have people, people would leave. Desert Breeze says, we're leaving, and the reason why we're leaving is because we're not being fed. It's been a long time since I've heard that, and I, 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 at that time I wanted to say, what in the world? You need somebody still to cut up your meat for you. I'm so sorry. It's like, aren't you feeding yourself? You should be, you should be feeding yourself. You should be, in fact, getting more food than what I'm dishing out on weekend service. In fact, if this is all you're living on, ah, you need much more than this. This is just to prime the pump. This is just to get you going. Then you get in your small group. You hang out with them. You begin to dive a little deeper on your own daily. You dive a little deeper. I mean, you're nourishing yourself. You're nurturing yourself through God's Word. And so that's, that's when you're moving from infancy to adolescence. Uh, went to... Uh, I found, a, found another hamburger place here in town, okay? It's called Zen Burger. Anybody ever been to Zen Burger before? It's Biltmore Fashion Park. You know, I'm into fashion. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we went over there this last week, took our daughter, hung out there. And so we're eating these, all oh, these hamburgers. Oh, my goodness. So Nancy and I split our hamburger. It's so delicious. We got a California burger. It's got avocado on it, just all kinds of stuff on there. And we're just like, we're, we're biting into it. And then Natalie, our daughter, cut hers, you know, and gave us part of it. So I'm like that and onion rings and just savoring. So cutting it, bite-sized pieces, tearing it off, rolling it around in our mouth. Mmm, good. Yes. Oh, digesting it, you know, let it, sending it down. And, oh, it was good. It was good. And then went to a coffee shop and chased it with, with a cookie and some coffee. And uh, it, let me ask you this. Do you do that with God's Word? To where you, you cut it up into bite-sized pieces and you take verses, like even some verses today, like newborn babes. 
long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Oh God, God, I want to be, I want to be like this newborn baby, this newborn infant. I want to long. Right now, I don't, I'm not longing. So God, I want to long for pure spiritual milk of your word so that I can grow up. God, I haven't been growing up. I want to grow up. So you're, you're letting it roll around in your mouth, your heart, your mind. God, how can I apply this to my life more specifically? How can I live this out? God, am I growing? Am I maturing? Am I just kind of checking the box, going through the motions? Or am I really becoming more passionate about you and compassionate about others around me? See, so you, so you cut it up, and now, uh, you know, we still have to cut up the food for our, our, our grandsons, except for our seven-year-old now. He's like, no, Grandpa, I got it. Just stay out of the way. He likes it all. But he just, he cuts that up, and so... And see, that's normal. At some point, they can cut up their own food. And they can feed themselves. And so you need to be able to cut up your own food. Feed yourself and enjoy it and savor. And, and, and that's, that's part of it. Um, and, and you're able to take God's word and ask yourself, if I take this truth seriously, how does it make a difference in the way that I... I'm going to live out my life today. If God is for me and not against me, what does that look like as I deal with all the stress on my job? Mm. And if you have tasted and you see that the Lord is good, Lord, it's been a while since I've tasted. What does that mean to taste and see that the Lord is good? How, how will this truth have an impact on the way that I live? See, you're, you're growing, you're maturing, you're taking God's word deep inside of you and it's transforming your life. It's bringing nourishment to you. You're moving from infancy to adolescent. By the way, uh, my, my sister Aloha worked for a dentist office for a number of years and she told me this story a number of years ago. I'll never forget it. But they were, she was, you know, behind the counter, you know, where they check in for the dentist office and so the people were sitting in the waiting room. And the waiting room was packed out and there was a little, like a five or six year old boy. He was playing, making all kind of noise and it was almost like he got a little bit tired and he walked over to his mom and lifted up her top, top and began to breastfeed on her right there in the dentist office. And my, my sister said that all the gals behind the counter were like, what? They were looking out the window like, what in the world is going on here? That's obscene. And, uh, and then the gal was like, what? Haven't you ever seen a kid breastfeed? And my sister's like, not a six-year-old. That's awkward. That's weird. So, Pastor Ray, where are you going to take this? <laughs> That's what I want to know. American Christianity today is that we've got 16-year-olds still trying to breastfeed. That's an image you're going to have a hard time getting out of your head. Seriously, we're immature. We're unbelievably immature. See, that, to us, when I share that story, you're like, that's weird, exactly. And there's a lot of weirdness in Christianity today because people aren't growing up. They, they can't take God's word and begin to feast on it and study it and meditate on it because either they haven't tasted to see that the Lord is good or it's been a while and they have an appetite for anything and everything other than him. Because to be quite honest with you, when I see people that they're more excited about, you know, uh, world soccer or whatever, you know, and they're more excited about all this stuff out there than they are God's word and knowing God. I'm wondering, have you ever even tasted of him? Do you know him? And, uh, okay, next one. Our living a life of faith, which is the art of holding on to things. So this is adolescent. Our living a life of faith, which is the art of holding on to things. Your reason has once accepted God's word in spite of your changing moods. So we're talking about moving from this infancy to adolescent. You know you're moving from infancy to adolescent when you're living a life of faith. And this is a quote from C.S. Lewis, which is the art of holding on to things. Your reason has once accepted God's word in spite of your changing moods. We are living by faith and not by sight. So what this is, is this is less feelings and more truth-oriented living. Unlike infancy with its high feelings. By the way, when you first became a Christian, you remember the feelings? And then after a while, you don't have those feelings anymore? You ever kind of wondered, like, what's up, God? How come I don't have those feelings anymore? He's still there. But guess what? He's wanting you to learn to live 
by the fact of his word. It's time for you to cross the street by yourself. He's not going to hold you by the hand and give you all the feelings all the time. There's a moment in your life where he says, hey, time to grow up. You know, with my kids, there was a time when, hey, dad's not going to walk you across the street. You've got to look both ways. You've got to learn how to do that. But at some point, you've got to do it yourself. Grow up. That's what he's doing. Less about feelings, more about God's word. Because whether you feel like it or not, he is there based on God's word. He wants you to be a person that responds because you know his mind and his heart. You have so saturated your life with his word that regardless of the highs and lows of the circumstances and the reactions of people around you, you respond with the value of God's word because it's deep within you. You're a person of character. Your behavior is based on decisions you make based on the value of God's word as opposed, as opposed to a person that lacks character. That they're on this roller coaster ride based on their feelings and their circumstances. Oh, 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 like an infant. No, the God's word is solid. It's rock solid. We live by faith, not by sight. Regardless of what's going on in our life, he is for us and not against us. He settled that once and for all through the cross. You could take that to your grave. And that's part of what it means. Let's talk about fatherhood. Okay. That was convicting. I needed that. I, that, was, that was for me, okay? And you. But God speaks to me so, so vividly. Man, I, when I studied this and was working through this, I go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to my life. Thank you for wanting to grow me up. Thank you for wanting me to grow up into my salvation. So here's fatherhood. 1 John uh, 2, verses 13, 14. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. This is advanced stage of Christianity. Oh, this is good. I love it. Knowing God and really communing with him. That's fatherhood. It's knowing God and really communing with Him. Man, you have a relationship with the Father. You commune with Him. You walk with Him. That's the best thing about the Christian life. You know God. He cleared away all of the barriers that would keep you from knowing Him through His Son. John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Next point. Spiritual disciplines don't just heat up when the chips are down but are uh, consistently fervent because you absolutely love the presence of God more than anything. I love his presence. I love his presence in my life. It's not about getting from God as much as it's being with him. And therefore, as it says in uh, Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You're just wanting to keep adding coals to that fire. By the way, when you look at the the frequency of your prayers and also what you pray tells you a lot about your spiritual life. So and nothing wrong with bringing your list to him, but that pales in comparison to bringing your love to him and your adoration and just spending time with him. See, that's fatherhood. I just love spending time with God. I, I binge on his word. I'm going to be going on vacation here real soon, and guess what I'm going to be doing? Raise binging again. This is messed up on his word, on his presence. Oh, I love his presence. I love spending time with him. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. And I, and I also do this. Here's the last one. This will involve times of intense wrestling with God for yourself and others' progress and joy in the faith. I do that regularly. I wrestle for you guys. I wrestle for the people in this church. I wrestle for my family. 2 Timothy 4, 7, fight the good fight of faith. Galatians 4, 19, Paul says that I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I know what he's talking about here. As I pray for you and this church, the people of this church and the leaders of this church, Colossians 4.12, he talks about Epaphras who, who wrestles for the maturity of the church in Colossae. And this is a, like, like Jacob wrestling with the angel and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, that's, that's that fatherhood. Genesis 32 and then Genesis 33. Like Moses who said, show us your glory. We're not going away from here until you show us your glory. See, that's fatherhood. 
God, it's been a while since I've had a sense of your presence. I'm staying here. I'm going to pursue you. I am seeking you with all of my heart until I experience you deep within my heart. Strategies of maturity, there's three. Holy Spirit, we're born again. 1 Peter 1.23. Spiritual disciplines, that's what we're doing right now, one of many. And then guess what? What's the third one? Trials, fiery trials, fiery trials. Oh, goody. So what he's doing is that because we're alive to his presence and his power, he's got his Holy Spirit working within us, this is what he's trying to do. Here's what he's trying to do. When you go through difficulties, by the way, God help you if you don't have good spiritual disciplines, you're not going to have much to draw on. You're not going to have much equity and resources to draw on. But if you're spending time in his word regularly, the Holy Spirit will bring those verses to mind specific to where you are struggling he will meet you there. That's what he's talking about. So what we begin to do, and this is maturity, is that I begin to apply through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit specific truths of God's word to where my heart is most restless, whatever I'm struggling with. God is for us and not against us. He loves us. Let's prepare our hearts for communion here this uh, morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. God, thank you. Thank you that we have a great example of Jesus in Matthew 4, that as he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, as he was assaulted by the enemy, he responded, it is written, it is written, it is written. God, we know that this is applying your word through the power of the Holy Spirit specific to where our hearts are most restless. Lord, let us learn how to do that. Let us go from, from milk to solid food, making that, that distinction in our life and applying the gospel to the specific areas of our lives. Why am I anxious? Why am I so anxious when, when God is for me and not against me? Why would I become angry when God is working for my good and his glory? Why would we be depressed? Our hope is not in created things, but in the creator who made the heavens and the earth. Lord, let us learn to apply your truth to the areas of our lives. God, let us see that holiness, wholeness, maturity is someone who is so happy in you that no trial can overwhelm us and no temptation can allure us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what I'm going to ask you to do is that uh, as you feel that you're ready to do this, just sit, reflect on what we talked about. I'm going to ask you, think about this. Where are you in this process? Infant? Adolescent, I can kind of see a combination of me and all three of those. There are specific areas of my life that I'm learning and I'm still an infant in and God's wanting to grow me up. But just confess that before God. But more importantly, this is what I want you to do through our communion here this morning. As you will see that uh, we have the bread here that represents his broken body for us. I'm going to have you come up and take that and then also take a cup. And, and what I want you to do is, as it says, if you have tasted and you see that the Lord is good, this is opportunity to taste that he is good. This is opportunity to reflect and to think, God, what do you want to speak to me this morning? God, you're inviting me to know you more. God, I want to find my heart satisfied in you unlike ever before. And so you just take a moment, you can grab this, take it here, and then exit quietly, or you can take it back to your seat and just sit for a moment and reflect. Let him meet with you this morning. And, and may this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. May you begin to, to live life with wisdom, the wisdom of God's word, sing and responding to life from God's perspective. And may we get better at that. May we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thanks for being here this morning.